0: Today I'm gonna talk about underwriting. And there's different levels of underwriting that I think everybody needs to have. You know, so if if you are like the actual underwriter for a team, you need to be able to go a mile deep in this subject. All right. But for everybody else, there's a couple of things that I think everybody involved in apartment investing should understand about underwriting. And so that's what we're gonna talk about today, you know, very briefly, because this is a multifamily brief. You know, so first thing we're gonna talk about is an underwriting tool, you know, it doesn't matter which one you use. There's a lot of them out there. Some people have made their own, some people sell them, but, be familiar with the underwriting tool that your team uses. Now, if you brand yourself as a capital raiser and you're open to working with other people at CoGP opportunities, maybe a good idea to familiarize yourself with several different underwriting tools. Every single one of them have different ways of presenting information, different ways of inputting information, and different levers to pull to to change how things are inside the the underwriting. So number one, get familiar with underwriting tools. You don't need to know them nearly as well somebody who's underwriting on a daily basis, but get familiar with them. Now we want to talk about a couple of things, the, the things that, it, that the levers that you can pull to make your investor returns pop. You know we we have income, we have expenses, and we have valuation. So we're going to talk about all three of those things and see how we can make sure that we understand what's going in there. So we're going to talk about expenses first. And I think one of the most common mistakes when people underwrite is they take the t twelve expenses from the previous owner and they just move them straight across and saying, this is exactly what we're going to spend. You know, when we own the property now for a lot of things that works very well, but for others, not so much. For example, property taxes. When you are underwriting or you're looking at somebody else's underwriting, one thing you need to realize is that property taxes in many jurisdictions are going to change when you purchase a property. You know, some counties, some states will use the most recent purchase price as the new assessed value and your property taxes may jump. Insurance costs have also been on the rise. You know, Several years ago, when I started, the rule of thumb for insurance was about $250 per unit per year. Right now, we are underwriting some properties at $600 per unit per year. So insurance costs have gone up significantly. And it's one of those things that you can't just take across straight across from the T12 to your underwriting tool. All right. And be advised that a lot of owners don't necessarily disclose the things that they should to the insurance companies to get the appropriate. Rate and policy to begin with. And I'm talking about everybody who says, no, we don't have aluminum wiring, right? That's you. So we've had several cases where we've purchased properties that have aluminum wiring, and our insurance policies have been a lot higher because we actually tell the insurance companies what we have. Now, something else is renovation expenses. You know, a lot of people will go in, especially the newer investors who haven't completed a renovation, will underestimate how much it takes to renovate a property. Now, it's really easy to look at the interiors and say, we're going to put new flooring, we're going to put new cabinets, we put new counters, we're going to put new, and then, and then get estimates for those things. But when you're turning and when you're renovating, there's always other things that come up. Maybe there's a couple holes in the wall, there's some patches, or when you take up the old flooring, you have to replace some of the plywood. You know, There's a lot of other things that come in there. So you can't just say, here's what it costs for the laminate plus labor. Here's what it costs for the counters plus labor. You have to add Extra in there. And same thing happens when you're doing exteriors. And oh, by the way, what a lot of people overlook is HVAC systems. You know, the things that you're going to have to replace if you own a property for five or 10 years, you're going to replace a lot of HVACs. You're going to do a lot of roof repairs. You're going to do a lot of You know asphalt repairs. And a lot of these fall into the capital expense budgets. So you may want to plan for those and beef up your your renovation budget from the beginning. All right. And now another one that's interesting is, is the payroll and management fees. Okay. Let me tell you, if a property is not being managed properly, you want to spend more in this area, not less. I see a lot of people who come in with underwriting thinking, you know, we can cut payroll and management. Really? Can you? Well, if you cut payroll, if you cut the management, you're going to get worse management than the previous owner had. Okay. You get what you pay for. So if the property is poorly managed, this line item should increase and increase significantly to make sure you're managed properly. Now let's look at income line items right now, right? Very easy to juice your returns by painting a really rosy picture for what the future potential income looks like. Now Admittedly, if you're too conservative, you're never going to get a deal. But let's look at a couple of things that affect your your total income line, especially your rental income line. Number one, loss to lease. Now, the loss to lease is the difference between what the current rents in place are and what the market rents are. So loss to lease is something that you can relatively easily fix. You know, when leases come due, you just start charging them market rents and over over the first 12 to 15 months that you own a property, when the lease has come due, you can cut down on a lot of loss to lease. So bringing the current rents up to market value for the condition of the property is something you can fairly quickly do. And when I say quickly, you have to wait till the lease expire expired to be able to do it. So over the course of a year, you can fix this. All right. So now don't overestimate what the market rent is. And that's, that's one of the biggest mistakes here is to overestimate. So over the course of the year, you can take a, a lot of this loss to lease and reduce it. And typically on, on your underwriting tools, loss to lease is a negative number. It subtracts from your gross potential income. And a similar line item is vacancy. You know, vacancy refers to the loss of rents due to units that are not collecting income. Okay, Loss of lease is units that are collecting income, but they're not collecting the full amount of income that they can get. Vacancy is the loss because units are not collecting income at all. All right. Whether it's economic vacancy, meaning you have a tenant in there who's not paying, or whether it's physical vacancy where the unit is just not occupied. But when you're purchasing and underwriting and and analyzing a property, you need to understand where this vacancy is coming from. Is it poor management? Is it significant deferred maintenance? Okay. Are the units actually rentable at the time? So if you're looking at a property that has a lot of vacancies, you need need to ask some, some more detailed questions. Now, the next thing that I think people should look at is the rent growth. OK, so when you're when we talk about rent growth, we're talking about market. You know, how much is the market rent going to grow over the next period of time? All right. And this is this is a really easy place to, to put in a, you know, hey, I think rents are going to grow at eight percent per year for the next several years. And it's a really easy way to make your returns pop. But, you know, are they really is the question, you know, is eight percent you know per year sustainable and if if rents are growing at a high clip and income is not growing you know i think that's a dangerous place to be when you're when you're forecasting rents. so you know in the last couple of years most areas because of you know the the amount of money the fed has put into the marketplace most areas have having have seen 8 10 12 15 20% growth in some markets year over year but that's not going to exist forever so when you're underwriting you know pay attention to what you're putting in as rent growth and be 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 able to justify it you know why can you justify a certain amount of growth in the market rent Um, Now, last thing we're looking at, at our our rent income line, there's other income lines we're going to talk about, but renovations, renovations do matter. If you improve the property, you can put it in a different class, you can you can make it nicer, and therefore be able to charge higher rent. So basically, look at the condition of the property, can you target your renovations to make rent higher and that's another way that you can raise the the rents is by making improvements to the property right now once again underwriting we look at our income lines there's a lot of other income that we can put on there And a lot of brokers will tell you, oh, you can do this, you can do that, you can put some other income in here and there and wherever. But but realistically, when we're looking at other income lines, we also have to look at the comparables. You know, what is the total cost of living there compared to the total cost living somewhere else? All right. A lot of the renters are fairly intelligent and they are going to look at the total costs. And not just the rent amount and, oh, my, I didn't know we were getting a utilities fee, too. So when you're looking at utilities billbacks and, you know, you're trying to implement a utilities billbacks, make sure you're looking, you know, to the left and to the right to see what other people are doing. Same can be said for laundry income, for washer and dryer rentals, if you're trying to do that, for pet rents and pet deposits. um you know, things like parking fees and valet trash that a lot of people will implement. You know, Is that something that the rest of the market is doing? And if not, are you really going to be able to make money implementing these type of things? And keep in mind, you know, C-class tenants are not going to pay for a lot of A-class amenities like valet trash and premium parking. Most of them would rather take out their own trash and park a block away to save $15 to you know, $30 a month. Right. Now, another thing with underwriting, we talked about expenses already. We talked about income. Now we're going to talk about valuations and where this matters on your returns is How much are you going to sell the property for later on? Or potentially, how much are you going to refinance the property for later on? Now, we have been in the last 15, 20 years, we have seen cap rates compress. Cap rates go down, which means property prices in general have gone up. But there's no way to tell if this trend is going to continue. Now, something that I think is safe to do is when you're looking at properties, is to look at a range of different cap rates. You know, what if cap rates continue to compress? If you forecast cap rate compression, it's really easy to make deals work. It's really easy to make the numbers work. But is that going to be the reality in the next couple of years? You know, nobody knows. All right. So are you going to forecast cap rate compression? Are you going to forecast cap rate saying the same? are you going to forecast cap rates expanding and going up a little bit? I think the safest thing to do, and I think what most underwriters do, is they add about 10 basis points or 0.1% per year to their cap rates. And that's what they use as their exit cap. But like I said, I think it's a good idea to look at a range of cap rates. What happens if cap rates go up a little bit? What happens if they stay the same? What happens if they go down? And if your deal works when cap rates go up, you know, it's going to work if cap rates do the same or go down. And the same thing holds true for refinancing. You know, when you refinance in a couple of years, the lender is going to look at the the value of the property to determine how much they're going to give you on the refinance. And if the person who's underwriting the property has a pie-in-the-sky number on their, their valuation, their numbers are going to be off, all right? And they're going to be pretty untrustworthy. Now, also with the refinance is interest rates. You know a couple of years ago, I saw a lot of people who were assuming that they were going to get the same interest rate, same super low interest rate they got when they purchased the property. And if they're looking to refinance right now, they're at you know 1.5% higher than they were, you know, a year and a half ago, and their numbers might not work very well. So the other thing to look at. When you're, when you're looking at valuations and you're looking at potential refinances is where are the interest rates going to be a year or two years from now when you plan on refinancing? Now, there's, there's a lot of people that will put out what are called forward curves on different um, baseline numbers, like your treasury bill, your SOFR, your LIBORs, or whatever, your prime rates, the rates that most lenders use when they're determining how much your interest rate's going to be. But just Google forward curve I'll tell you what, we'll put a link in the show notes to to one of the places that I look, but that's a really good place to forecast, hey, this is what we're gonna plan our refinance at in two years. End of the day, underwriting can be very, very complicated. And I could, and I am going to create a 12-week course on that subject alone. Now, if if your focus is just raising capital, if your focus is in a different area of, of the business that is not underwriting, you still need to be familiar with it because you're going to have to answer questions from investors. Uh, you have to make sure that you are getting into a good deal yourself. So you don't need an in-depth knowledge of everything, but you need to understand which factors are going to affect the overall returns the most and make sure they're in line with reality. Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast by the Tribe of Titans. If you're still listening, you obviously liked it. So go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star rating and review if you haven't already. And then make sure to check out our YouTube channel, which incidentally has a ton of video content that you'll also enjoy and learn from. Now, if you're interested in being on the show,